an iconic sandwich, peach praline pie, and a dish called a damn mess. This week, we're in Toronto. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This is the show and the website where we explore the cuisine of the world's great foodie cities at DestinationEatDrink.com and here on the podcast. And this week, the show is all about Toronto. But first, let me tell you where I'm at right now. The Agitao Market is a monthly outdoor market in the town of Agitao, Portugal. It's about 40 minutes from Lisbon, and it's definitely a local's market, even though it only happens once a month, because not a lot of tourists come to Agitao. If they do, they're coming for the wine. They're probably not coming for the outdoor market. This is a huge outdoor market. They sell everything from shoes and fabric to fruit trees, honey, lots of produce, But my favorite vendor is this amazing bread guy who bakes flatbread to order and slathers it with garlic butter. Delicious. This week, my guest is Kevin Durkee. Kevin is the owner and big cheese at Culinary Adventure Company, a foodie tour company in Toronto. He takes guests to all the best spots in the city, including the St. Lawrence Market for the iconic pea meal sandwich. Culinary Adventure Company also has tours of Kensington Market, Chinatown, Gerard Street, and much more. Kevin and I talk about some of the best things to try in Toronto, like peach praline pie. And he shares some of the history of this incredibly diverse place that boasts cuisine from immigrant groups like the Portuguese, Jewish, Syrian, and Indian people, too. And speaking of India, Kevin shares an amazing story about the birth of Little India in Toronto. Okay, Uh, that's a lot of ground to cover, and I'm starving, so... Let's eat. Destination Eat Drink. Kevin Durkee of Culinary Adventure Company in Toronto, Canada. Thanks for being on Destination Eat Drink. It's great to talk to you today about Canada. Thanks so much for the invite, Brent. It's always great to talk about our delicious city here. I wanted to start out because last week I was uh, with some friends here in Portugal and we went out for cocktails and they're from Canada, not Toronto. They're from Calgary. And I said, oh, I'm talking to a guy from Toronto. And they immediately told me that I was not pronouncing Toronto correctly. So as someone in Toronto, how do I pronounce Toronto correctly? Oh, that's a that's a polarizing question to start the interview okay. off with. <laughs> that's okay. Um, it, it depends. Basically, we drop the last T. So you will sort of do a bit more of a Toronto, um, where you're not at, adding sort of the last T into the into the mix. So you it's Toronto or Toronto or Toronto, but Toronto with a T is uh if you're trying to say it proper, but drop the last T and you'll fit right in. Toronto. Okay, very good. I I didn't realize I was uh, stepping right into. (laughs) I thought that was a really, really friendly, easy question to start with. But you never know, I guess, when you talk about local things. Um, You guys do a tour of the St. Lawrence Market. And I wanted to start there because I saw some videos of the St. Lawrence Market and it just looked fantastic to me. It's been there for 
over two centuries now. Tell me about this place. What makes it exciting and interesting, the St. Lawrence Market? Well, you're absolutely right. The St. Lawrence Market is a really delicious destination. And at the Culinary Adventure Company, we're running food tours, as you've mentioned, a number of days a week into this incredible market that is really filled with legacy. It's filled with stories. And of course, it's filled with remarkable food. But as you pointed out, it's been around for a long time. It really is the center of culture and community here in Toronto. There's been a public market on that spot since 1803. And in fact, it's gotten some highlight over the last number of years as well. In 2012, National Geographic highlighted the market as one of the best in the world. So when your audience or anyone has a chance to come and see it and taste it firsthand, they're going to be introduced to 120 different vendors that really are showcasing the story of Canadian food. Local, of course, really spectacular source product, but you're finding things that are very iconic for the country and for the city. Uh, Brent, have you ever heard of Pimil Bacon before? Not until I started researching Toronto. So <laughs> I did want to ask you about the Pimil sandwich. What is this thing exactly? Yeah, so the St. Lawrence Market is sort of the epicenter to, to really try Toronto's signature dish, the Pimil Bacon. Uh, sandwich. And it's a really incredible little story because for almost 200 years, it's been created as an export product. We had a gentleman um, come to Canada called William Davies. He was a butcher in the St. Lawrence market. And although he was from England and really had passion back to the UK, he was trying to find a way to encourage export and import and a variety of things in the late 1800s. And he established this opportunity where he was raising pork in Toronto and basically breaking that product down, placing it into barrels, putting it onto ships and sending it back to London. But to make sure that it was cured, to make sure that it was going to you know, take the amount of time it was going to get there and to keep it as fresh as possible, he cured the pork, but he also added a ground pea meal to the outside so that moisture and things through the transportation would sort of get away from the center of the pork loin. And that turned us into this remarkable sort of center cut pork that's lightly brined, that has this light crunch on the outside, and it's called pea meal bacon. Of course, you know, decades and decades later, this sandwich and this particular pork item is a signature of the St. Lawrence Market. And Carousel Bakery, who's been around for uh, well over 50 years, is really the center where to get that sandwich. So you're biting into this tender, soft pork that it's been lightly cured little beautiful layer of salt it's been you know flash fried on a on a stovetop and really provide a little bit of heat and crisp on a very simple brioche bun is one of the best bites inside st lawrence i love the idea of a sweet bun on the sandwich the brioche bun would there be other toppings involved or is it just strictly the cutlet and the bun together well, on our food tours, we certainly encourage our guests to try it in its natural state, if you will, so you can taste the actual pork and the tender and the lovely um, sweetness of the bun and the softness. But of course, you when you become addicted to it, like almost all Torontonians do, you've got your own little mix. Um, we would certainly encourage Canadian mustard to be added, um, whether that's a little bit of a, a spicier mustard or maybe a sweet maple mustard, a little drop of that. If you've got a bit of a British following, then it's some brown sauce or HP, but it's good on its own, but certainly any little condiment will help out. But it typically tends to be a mustard 
um, more than anything else. You said maple mustard, which leads me into talking about maple syrup. Of course, people, when they think about Canada and the foods, one of the things that comes to top of mind is, is maple syrup. And one of the things that I know about maple syrup is that you've got to really look hard and maybe pay some extra money to get the real thing. How, how do we go about finding real, authentic maple syrup and not the fake stuff that's, uh, you know, processed by these big corporations? We're pretty lucky here in Canada that we've got the good stuff first. You're absolutely right. Lots of markets around the world, particularly in the United States and others that are sort of having table syrup, will ultimately have a syrup that is probably built out of corn or other sugared products. But in Canada, maple is a pretty iconic and pretty signature flavor for us. Um, we're part of the maple belt that really runs through sort of the Midwest um, into Eastern Canada and Eastern Ontario, where there are sugared maples. So a maple tree that is providing a sweeter sap. That sap, of course, is um, drained from the trees sort of at this time of year, um, late spring, you know, uh, late winter, early spring, I should say. And then that sap, of course, is boiled down to this really rich, thick, consistent, gorgeous maple syrup. In Canada, we're very lucky. We have access to some of the best in the world. And in fact, actually, we export about 75% of the maple syrup, the original maple syrup around the world. I was born and raised in Quebec. So I believe that Quebec maple syrup hmm. trumps anything in the world. Okay. Um, we obviously have lots of uh, sugar shacks and maple syrup production here in Ontario. But you're really looking for something that is a pure maple syrup. And a couple of other hints, anyone that is visiting, um, you know, Canada or the Toronto area and want to take maple syrup home, don't ever, ever, ever buy maple syrup in a glass jar. It looks great. It's cute. It might seem like a nice little souvenir, but uh, maple syrup is actually quite um, sensitive to light. And it's much better to get it in a plastic jug or even more traditional, a little silver and red can. And those are actually canned and bottled directly on site, like right at the source. And you always know that those are going to be the best. Great advice there, Kevin. One other thing I wanted to talk about the St. Uh, St. Lawrence Market is this. Um, you know, I'm living in Portugal now. And one thing I noticed in the St. Lawrence Market was there was at least one vendor selling the famous Portuguese custard tart, the pastel de nada. I saw another vendor who was selling, uh, had little Portuguese flags. I'm not sure what other Portuguese items that they had. Is there a Portuguese presence in Toronto? Um, and, uh, you know, what kind of Portuguese food might we find, if any, in Toronto? Um, you'd find a lot of Portuguese flavors in Toronto. And in fact, almost any nationality that you're looking for, we are really, really proud to be recognized by the United Nations and a number of other bodies around the world as Toronto being one of the most diverse and multicultural cities on the planet. Um, we have about 230 nationalities truly represented across the city and all of our government services, in fact, and local government are represented in over 140 languages. So what you're finding when you come to Canada and particularly Toronto is that you get a little taste of the world instantly. And the Portuguese were certainly a big part of that and remain. We've got a little Portugal along Dundas and St. Clair. So there's sort of a dedicated neighborhood that really celebrates the Portuguese community here. But in the 1950s and 60s, we had a large immigration of Portuguese coming in, establishing, you know, new world, new homes, new communities. 
and those flavors and that sort of passion for their food remains. I, I, what's really interesting about the Canadian sort of culinary effort is that quite often you'll hear in the United States that it's a melting pot, that everyone sort of goes in together and you start to assimilate. And I think that's distinctly different when you look at Canadian culture and cuisine. I kind of describe us as more of a salad than a melting pot. Hmm. We're all in the same boat in the bowl together, but the lettuce, the cucumbers, the onion, they all represent a different part of the culinary landscape that we have, but we're all in that bowl together, but distinct flavors remain, communities remain, and traditions remain. So yes, when you're at St. Lawrence Market, one of the best ways to finish your um, your visit is a beautiful pastelinata from one of our friends at Churrasco St. Lawrence. It is the traditional Portuguese recipe. It's that lovely custard, that creamy, you know, texture with a little hint of vanilla, that crispy, flaky pastry. I was lucky enough to visit Portugal and Spain just this past Christmas. My sister has moved to Lisbon and we loved our experience, but I gotta say the tarts I loved but we were really proud on how good they were at St. Lawrence Market. And the vendor that owns uh, Churrasco St. Lawrence is born and raised in Portugal, came to Canada, and one more time gives that perfect example of Canadians making authentic national food um, in a really unique way and really, really delicious. Another great reason to get to uh, Toronto, try the uh, Portuguese pastel de nada. I love it. Um Let's let's pivot now to Kensington Market. I know you guys do a tour there as well, Kevin. My question is, first off, what is Kensington Market? Is it a physical market or is it a neighborhood? Well, that's the fun. It's a little bit of both, Brent. Um, Kensington Market is a beautiful, diverse neighborhood in Toronto. And you're right, we do a spectacular food tour of Kensington and Chinatown together. But Kensington really established in the late 1800s as a family plot of land. Um, Colonel Dennison came from London and established living on the on the space. But not until sort of the mid 1800s did the family estate get broken up and annexed into the city. And it became very, very residential. But what happened in about 1900 to 1930, the neighborhood was sort of the center and the focus for the Jewish community that was coming into Canada and in Toronto at that time. And unfortunately, they were being, you know, um, segregated, they were being ostracized, they were being pushed into their own community. And so the Jewish community established themselves in Kensington. And because of that, they were not, it didn't have the accessibility to lots of stores and elements at that time in Toronto. So they started to open and sell and barter and trade amongst themselves. So imagine this remarkable Edwardian and Victorian neighborhood with these really delicious stalls and stores and shops opening up on people's yards, sidewalks, front, um, you know, fronts of their buildings. And over that 30 year period, that morphed into larger businesses and bigger elements. So these houses turned into really incredible markets. We actually had a live fresh market in Kensington until the 1970s where live animals were still being sold. So it's both. It is a neighborhood that is an open air market, um, stores, beautiful little shops, businesses, but all sort of structured in these fantastic Edwardian homes. Um, but it is a neighborhood where people live and come and eat and drink and support. So it's not a covered market. It's an area that is packed full of diversity and really delicious. 
You mentioned this was a Jewish community. Is there any way that that represents itself from a food standpoint in Kensington Market today? It does. And that's one of the things we discuss on our food tour. There's about 86 different countries that are represented on on our tour and inside that market um, because of Kensington's diversity. In the 1900s to the 30s, as I've mentioned, the Jewish community really put their stamp and element with uh, bakers and fishmongers and butcher shops. In the 30s and 50s, we had Eastern Europeans coming into the neighborhood and finding that connection, that community. We had the Portuguese coming in in the 50s and 60s. We had lots of counterculture of the 60s and 70s and the hippies and the drug culture. They're still in Kensington Market. You can still see them and smell them and have a good time with them. (laughs) But of course, Kensington then continued to change in the 60s and 80s where Southeast Asian communities and flavors came in, those from Vietnam, Korea, uh, finding their first touch and connection into the market. 80s and 90s, it was the Indians and Chinese. And more recently, in the last sort of 15, 20 years, sort of since 2000, it's been Jamaican, Caribbean flavors, Central and South America as a real prominent flavor. And more recently, we've seen the next chapter be Turkish and Middle Eastern and Syrian and Lebanese. But what's so incredible, Brent, is that each and every time one of these, um, I guess, communities came through the market, they left something behind. So now we have 86 different countries represented through flavors and chefs and restaurants and businesses and ingredients that really tell that incredible culinary story. Um, So there is some Jewish elements left in the market. There's incredible bagel shop, Eastern European uh, butcher shops. But now we have this whole gorgeous carpet of fantastic flavors that we get to enjoy every time we get to the market. Let's talk about a couple of these flavors. One thing that uh, I found intriguing was the peach praline pie, because I've never had it before. I never thought of uh, having peaches, peach praline pie before. Can you tell me about this and describe it and what it's like and maybe a place where we can get it when we're in Kensington Market? For sure. So we obviously don't have a tremendous amount of peach um, growing in Canada. We obviously do have uh, some in the summertime. Peaches are kind of in season, the middle of August in the Niagara region, which isn't very far from Toronto. It's about an hour and a half, two hour drive down to the wine country in the Niagara Falls region. And we have some stone fruit there. Um, so we do have fresh peaches and pears that come into the market at that time and, and across you know stores across Toronto. But if you're in Kensington and if you're looking for the best slice of pie, there's only one place I'm going to send you, which is Wanda's Pie in the Sky. Hmm. Wanda Beaver, um, who is the owner, she has this remarkable shop that is dedicated to fresh, beautiful baked goods and pies are her sort of calling card. But what's really interesting is that Wanda, while she'll use some, you know, source product from other beautiful sources across Canada, she'll use some frozen sour cherries in in the wintertime. She refuses to use a frozen a frozen peach. So peaches are collected from the trees and from the orchards in middle August. She's got about a four week, maybe a five week period where peach items come onto her menu. And this peach praline cake, or excuse me, pie is exactly what you think it is. It's the juicy, soft, luscious peaches that are in the inside, incredible flaky pastry, and this sort of streusel, crumbly, crispy, beautiful praline top that is the perfect counterpoint to the soft, sticky, sweet peaches that are inside each slice. But Wanda's Pie in the Sky is a perfect spot to grab a a slice of dessert 
anytime you're visiting Toronto, but certainly if you're visiting Kensington Market. Oh, man, my mouth is watering because we lived in Georgia for a while. Georgia's famous for peach production. I lived in Austin for a while. And my friend Christine from Louisiana, she makes pralines down there. And the thought of putting these things together is just uh, really exciting me. From my uh, from a culinary standpoint, you did mention that uh, there's Syrians recently moving into this area. Middle Easterners, I would imagine, uh, because of the wars that have been fought in the Middle East. How have they put their stamp on this area? You're absolutely right. One of the things that is so delicious about my business running food tours every day is that we get to see the new trends and the new flavors and the new communities that are doing some really delicious things. And I think that there's probably five, you know, five or six um, real new flavors that Toronto is representing Syrian, Filipino, Middle East, and that's covering the Levitan countries of Jerusalem and, and Turkey and uh, Israel and, and others. But we're also finding some new folks spending a lot of time enjoying Egyptian food as well. And so there are different locations across the city. Kensington, as an example, one of our favorites that's bringing that Middle Eastern flavor together is a lovely little spot called Abu Hummus. And if you've ever traveled to the Middle East or any part where hummus is such an important part of the diet, hummus in North America has always been considered a dip. It's been that mm -hmm. scuzzy little grainy chickpea thing in a plastic container at the back of your fridge that you eat with some really rough carrots on for lunch. <laughs> but that's not what happens at Abu. Abu is placing this gorgeous, rich, delicious hummus at the center of their bowl. And, you know, they're importing chickpeas from Turkey. They're soaking them for 24 hours. They're cooking them down and making this beautiful, soft, delicious, gorgeous hummus that is blended to this rich pudding-like consistency. But Burgess, one of the, the chefs and the managers at Abu Hummus in Kensington, he is and his team are making this gorgeous hummus at the center of the bowl. But then on top are layering in flavors like mushrooms or chicken shawarma or roasted cauliflower, tahini, sumac, spices that are really brightening up that dish. And when our guests try it on one of our food tours, we really tell them that it is not a dip and that they're going to get kicked off the food tour if we see a pita <laughs> going anywhere near that bowl. It really has to be enjoyed with a spoon. It's that rich, decadent, almost Middle Eastern Sunday. You get your spoon right to the bottom of that bowl. And so whether it's Syrian or Middle Eastern or Turkey influences, Kensington and Toronto is incredibly acceptable, um, accepting, I should say, about bringing those flavors and those communities to life. And Abu and others are perfect, perfect examples of that. Love it. Let's talk cheese. You, um, you dubbed yourself the big cheese of the Culinary Adventure Company, and yeah. you guys do a cheese tasting experience. I'm a big cheese guy. Tell me a little bit about it, Kevin. Yes, I, I, I do call myself the owner and the big cheese, partly because I'm the boss, but partly because I've now spent the last sort of 15 years within artisanal Canadian cheese. Before I purchased the Culinary Adventure Company, I ran a restaurant in Toronto called Cheeseworks. And you can imagine with a name like Cheeseworks, it was dedicated to ooey gooey, comfort, delicious cheese. But I was always focused on local artisanal product. And we want to bring that. One of the spectacular things that Canada is doing is cheese. There is no question that old world recipes, incredible product from Portugal, Lisbon, Spain, Germany, Switzerland, England are the standards and sort of the gold bar of what to create. But 
cheesemakers here in Canada are using incredible milk. They are using similar recipes, but bringing it to life in a more of a innovative new format, new way that are rivaling some of the cheeses, you know, some of the best cheeses in the world. So I would be hard pressed for any guest who joins us on a food tour, anyone that you send us after this podcast, for people not to fall in love with Canadian cheese. When you think about the styles, of course, places like Quebec, you're finding softer, beautiful, uh, decadent breeze, camembert, soft and semi-soft product. In Ontario, you're, we celebrate one vendor as an example, Mountain Oak, which is a second generation Dutch farm that is doing incredible milk sourcing themselves, but they're making their milk into this in, in spectacular howda or gouda. And so things like that are tasted on the tour. So uh, you're going to need to give me a whole nother podcast, Brent, because we could talk <laughs> cheese for a couple of hours. Um, but I suffice it to say that the selection and choice and the quality of what we're making in Canada is bar none, some of the best in the world. Well, it sounds fantastic. Yeah. Sorry, Fran. We got some good cheese here. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I think one thing we should talk about before we, we get off of this is uh, poutine. And I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with poutine because uh, I grew up in the Chicago area. So we, uh, you know, Wisconsin, they, they, uh, they talk about their poutine, but I don't think anyone talks about poutine like Canadians do. Uh, what can you tell me about, <laughs> what can you tell me about poutine? First of all, a lot of folks maybe don't know what poutine is. So give me an idea of what it is and then tell me why it's special in Canada. Uh, well, first of all, we're going to make sure that you say it correctly. <laughs> right. Please pronounce Canada. my, please correct my pronunciation. <laughs> So it's not po, it's poo, and you drop the e on the end. So poutine or poutine. Um, so you try to put a little French uh, flair into it, and it will it'll okay. get you a better plate. Okay, but good. Poutine, yeah, poutine is is certainly uh, a very much a Quebec staple. In the 1950s, it really sort of came to life, and it was partly because so many of the restaurants and businesses were close to the fromagerie or the cheese. Uh, factories in sort of the center of Quebec. Then in the 50s, it was a go-to, simple, easy dish. It was cheap and cheerful. And there's lots of sort of rumors and history of what has, you know, what has transpired. But fundamentally, a customer in the middle of Quebec in the middle of the 1950s went into a restaurant and asked for basically a to-go item, wanted the French fries, wanted the fresh curds that were available and said, you know what, I'd love some gravy for my fries. Just put it all together. I've got to go. And ultimately, when the restaurant did put it together, they ended up putting the gravy and the cheese on the fries, stuck it in a bag and handed it to him. He reportedly said, which basically translates out of French to say, that looks like a damn mess. And that's pretty much what it was. Um, and so Poutine became this sort of colloquial sort of cute name to bring this sort of messy, sticky, savory pile of crispy French fries, remarkable beef gravy and fresh cheese curds. And it is delicious, but I think it's only delicious when you're it's two o'clock in the morning and you're stone drunk right. um, past that. It's, uh, there are other delicious Canadian items that we would much prefer to uh, to uh, to treat you to. But it is it is a staple. It, I do recommend those that that try it to try it in Montreal or Quebec City. It is a little bit more authentic there. 
Um, but of course, there's always a few spots in and around the city of Toronto to try it if you're looking for one. But it's a damn mess that happens to be damn delicious. <laughs> Good. Um, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Gerard Street because you mentioned earlier the South Asian influence in Toronto, and I think this is kind of the epicenter of it, if I'm not mistaken. Gerard Street. Like I said, I spent. We're talking on a Monday. I spent a good part of the weekend um, watching videos about the food scene in Toronto and Gerard street just looks amazing to me. You guys do a tour there. Tell me about it. Yes. And little India along Gerard street is again, another perfect example of why Toronto is so delicious that neighborhood for decades and, and um, for a very long time until the mid 1970s and early eighties was just a bedroom sort of neighborhood East side community. But a gentleman by the name of John Nash, who was an immigrant from India, first established himself in the East Side. And he was living here for a number of years and was really struggling with finding the culture and the flavors and the color of what he missed back home. There was a local theater in the Gerard area called the Eastwood Theater. And in the late 70s and early 80s, he actually rented it and actually turned it into a Bollywood movie theater for a short period of time to really bring that color and that culture to life. It was one of these, you know, theaters that were starting to be replaced by cineplexes and the big sort of shopping center movie theaters that were coming in in the late 70s and 80s. And he thought, well, I can rent it for a couple of weeks and see what happens. It was remarkably successful, Brent. And ultimately what happened is that he then continued to rent this movie theater, providing this color and this character and this sort of touch back to home. And of course, the Indian community from right across Toronto and even from Buffalo and northern New York were starving for this sort of culture, started to come into East Girard and the little India area that we now know today. And because of that, what do you do before the movies, Brent? What do you typically do? Get food. That's right. You go for a meal. And what do you do before that? You might do a little bit of shopping. So this one movie theater completely changed the neighborhood and restaurants started to pop up. Shops and starry shops started to pop up. Cultural elements came together. And in the mid 1980s, Little India across Gerard East in the east side of Toronto was the largest Indian bazaar anywhere in North America. It was the first Indian movie theater in Canada, one of the largest in North America. And at its height, we were attracting close to, you know, a half a million, 750,000 people to this really dynamic neighborhood to showcase Southeast Asian flavors. Now the movie theater is no longer there, but the restaurants exist and the culture and the flavor and the fabric of that remarkable area exists. And we showcase that on our food tours of the area showing how one person, one idea, one central thought could really change what the neighborhood would ultimately become. Now, of course, Indian families, like every other ethnic and neighborhood has changed and families and multiple generations have moved on. Mom, dad, I don't want to work in the restaurants anymore. So kids have gone off to do other things. So the neighborhood is sort of opening up a little bit. Other new flavors have come into that area, which is one of the reasons why we're so excited to show it to our guests. We kind of make the joke that it's sort of the Southeast Asian Little India area and the new kids on the block Hmm. because there is handmade charcuterie, beautiful Canadian cheeses, incredible, delicious, sticky, sweet designer donuts from friends like Glory Hole and others that are taking this neighborhood and bringing it to the next level of deliciousness. So it is hands down one of the spots to visit. 
But I will say, and I'm sure you recognize this and your audience does as well, coming with someone like us who is a food tour company and who can curate the flavors and who can take the the nervousness and the 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 this you know making things a little scary for these types of neighborhoods where you may or may not want to go tours like ours show you the best we've seen and and tasted some of the best food in that neighborhood so by hanging out with a tour guide jumping on a food tour like the culinary adventure company you you can trust that you're getting the best and you're getting the stories behind it as well so it's a neighborhood that is delicious and should be visited, but it should be visited through the eyes of, of someone local or someone through ourselves to really show you where the delicious food is. I love that origin story of uh, Little India and Gerard Street in Toronto. And I'm going to reinforce what you just said, Kevin, and not only go on a food tour when you visit a new city like Toronto, go on a culinary adventure company food tour, but make it your first stop. I've, I've mentioned this a couple other times on the podcast, but if you do your food tour the first day that you come immediately when you land, if possible, it will open yeah. up your eyes to all the other things that you want to do in the city. If you save it for the end, there's going to be all these things that you want to do that you're not going to have time to do, unfortunately. I could not agree more. And we try to encourage that with everyone who has a chance to come and visit any city, do it early and do it first for all the reasons that you've just said. But also you're going to be with people like our team and myself and other guides that work for the Culinary Adventure Company. We are food concierge. You've now got our phone number. So if you're in Toronto three days later saying, Kevin, you know, where is the best, you know, falafel? Where is the, you know, the most delicious um, you know, donut in the city, where can I find the best dim sum? We can tell you either on the tour, it might be something that you're really excited to, to try a couple of days later, or you can reach out to us. We have so many guests that unfortunately, just as you said, come to us at the end of a, a visit and they're like, oh, I really wish we were here first. We would have known the better places to go. We went to this restaurant last night that wasn't necessarily the best or the greatest. And we you know, you invest a lot of money and time when you're on vacation or traveling around the world into a meal. It's the most important thing you do. You are going to be eating three, four, maybe five times a day on, on a vacation. You're only going to go to the hotel once. You're only going to go to the museum once. You're only going to go to the attraction once, but you're going to eat three or four times. Why not put your money, energy and research into food first and the best way to do that is to jump on a food tour as soon as you get off the plane. 100% agree. Couldn't agree more. And and you make a great point, Kevin, which is use your food tour guide as a resource. These folks, they know everything about the town. This is why they're they're evangelical about their city. They want to share it with you. So use them, you know, go on the tour, but also ask some questions. They'll, they'll tell you where to go yeah. every time. So I'll give you a little inside trick for your audience as well. We actually have a program called What's Appetizing. And we have a WhatsApp and we encourage all of our guests at the end of our tour to stay connected. And it's a simple WhatsApp where you can send us a text. The number is on the bottom of our website and people can just flip us a note anytime they're hungry, anytime they're looking for something, anytime they're trying to find the best, something crispy, something sweet, something chocolatey, something crunchy, whatever it is. Um, and that's a service that they get because they've joined us on our food tour. But I'm happy to have your guests find us as well. So they just need to bump into our WhatsApp and we'll give them all the Toronto and Canadian uh, food destinations that they could possibly they could possibly eat. So have some fun with that. 
Well, Kevin Durkee from Culinary Adventure Company, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been great talking to you. You've certainly whet my appetite to get to Toronto and enjoy this wonderful, uh, what you call salad of different foods and uh, taste up there. Well, thank you for uh, the invite, Brent. And when you, uh, when you come, uh, we'll take good care of you and you'll be very full by the end of your visit for Toronto. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks. Okay, there you go. I think you'd have to say there's something for everyone in Toronto. And we didn't even get to Toronto's Little Italy. Guess we'll have to have Kevin back another time. I've got a link to Culinary Adventure Company, Kevin's Food Tour Company, in the show notes. Get that at radiomisfits.com slash DED181. Well, it's been great hanging here at the Agitao Market. I'll definitely have to make it a habit to come back here every month. Next week on the show, we'll be in Georgia. Not, not the peach state, the country of Georgia. So don't miss that. Until then, get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. I just posted a story called Coffee Isn't Just Coffee. It's about how meeting for a coffee in Portugal often turns into an hours or day-long adventure. Get that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and gourmet poutine chef Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. 